Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. <laughs> I hope you're glad to see me, too. Please have mercy on my, uh, my vocal cords. My voice is a bit rough, but your good team here brought me some tea, so everything is all good. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Come on. Can I get an amen? After, after praise and worship like that, I mean, that was impressive, Denise. And uh, who was the other singer that was up here? Stacy. So powerful how they led us into the presence of the Lord. I turned and I saw a trumpet come out. There was violin. I mean, I thought, I don't want to preach yet. I just want this worship to just keep going. So you guys are really blessed. You're really blessed. Can we honor and thank the worship team for such a great job that they did this morning? I also would like to especially greet, uh, not even greet, but just honor uh, Pastor David, Denise Ayers, and uh, all of the staff and leadership here. Your pastor is so cool. Had, had I known that he was going to dress like this, I wouldn't have wore this blazer. I would have pulled out my, you know, he's just so cool. He just kind of comes up here and just, he's got a very relaxed presence about him. He's, I can tell he's a good pastor. Do you appreciate your pastoral team here? <clears throat> I uh, have the privilege of leading and, and founding really the History Makers Academy and Society, and so I go to a lot of churches, and uh, I really appreciate this church already. So I'm honored to be here, and I think God is going to do something this morning. Are you ready to receive from the Lord this morning? Amen. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Now, I, I have uh, good news and bad news. Which do you want to hear first? Bad news. bad news. All right. Let's get the bad news out of the way. We went to load boxes of books into the car this morning, and we're all sold out. Maybe I should have given the bad news at the end. Uh, the, the faith level just dropped in the room. <clears throat> But uh, I am the author of Beyond the Four Walls. This book has done a lot for leaders and, and Christians all over the world. And it is available on Amazon.com. So you can order it from there, as well as my latest book is called His Kingdom, Your Purpose. And it's literally a manual to take you from ground zero all the way to effective ministry, either in church or, or beyond the four walls. That book is also available on Amazon. In fact, the content that you will read in there is the same content we used to train our leaders over an 18-week period to the place where the mayor of our city thought there were hundreds in our movement because the city went into some elements of real transformation. To his shock, there were only 13 of them. But they had been so well trained and equipped, the ministries they started in the community had such influence that they thought, well, this must be some big movement. There were just 13 of us. I wonder, does that story sound familiar? Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? It is possible to transform the world with 12 people. If they are trained and equipped properly, I, I always say many of us are comfortable attending church, but we'd be very uncomfortable following Jesus. Because Jesus was interested in more than just inspiring you. In fact, Jesus was suspicious of the large crowds. He liked, come on, am I preaching to somebody this morning? He liked to work with a few good people. 
And he had no problem with women in ministry. He had no problem with men in ministry. And he launched and sent out and released people that were so effective in their generation that you are sitting here today because of Jesus Christ's investment in a few good people. Do we have a few good seeds in the house this morning? Every person is full of potential. And through our History Makers Academy, I was able to leave pastoring. I'm still a pastor, but I transitioned from pastoring after about 10 years into now this, this training system that we use all over the world. And in the last two years, we were able to reach close to 300,000 people globally through training and equipping. So I'm excited to be here this morning. I want to preach. I hope you'll, you'll take some notes. I hope you'll get something from this. I want you to turn into your Bibles to a bit of an unusual scripture, Obadiah. Who's been to Obadiah before? Have you seen Obadiah? Well, you better because one day you'll get to heaven and Obadiah might say, did you read my book? And you might say, uh, I, uh, you were in the Bible? Obadiah. Let's not disappoint Obadiah this morning. Obadiah chapter number 1, verse 21. It'll be up on the screen for those of you who are feeling the frustration of trying to find that book right now. <laughs> Obadiah chapter 1, verse 21. Boy, I feel the anointing in this house this morning. I'm so grateful to the worship team for the job that you did. Greetings as well to everybody watching on Facebook Live. Let the Lord touch your life this morning. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 21 says, The deliverers, let everyone say deliverers, will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The kingdom will be the Lord's. Can we read that together? Just all together. One, two, three, let's read. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Let me provoke you with a question this morning. Are you passionate and zealous about the kingdom becoming the Lord's here in Canton? Is that your heart's desire? Are you passionate and serious about every aspect of this society, everywhere you place your feet, to become the kingdom of God? Are you serious and determined? Is your heart beating for the kingdom of darkness to be dethroned and the kingdom of light enthroned? Is this your passion? Is this the heartbeat of your church? Judging by your pastor's reaction, this is the heartbeat of your church. Canton can be saved. The kingdom of God can come here. Jesus said, you do not need to wait four more months and then the harvest in John 4. He said, I tell you, the harvest is ripe right now. You do not have to wait. So why is God waiting? What are we waiting on? God is waiting on the deliverers from Zion, the church, to go out and transform society. If you did not know, Zion is New Testament church. And we are gathered here today 
in Zion for deliverers to be equipped, for deliverers to be anointed, to go out and bring deliverance to every aspect of society. If there is any sphere where the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God has not yet come, God wants His kingdom to come to that sphere. God wants His kingdom to come to industry. God wants His kingdom to come to education. God wants His kingdom to come in the business sector. God wants His kingdom to come in Canton until when you drive into this city, you do not know the difference between heaven and the difference between earth. God even prayed through His Son, Jesus Christ, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Canton, I mean on earth, as it is in heaven. God is passionate about seeing His kingdom come to earth. And the sin of irresponsibility of the church today, I'm sorry to say, is that we've come to the waiting room called church, waiting to die and go to the kingdom of heaven. When God has strategically positioned you in this city, in this generation, in this church, to be a kingdom carrier, one that brings the kingdom of God to earth and brings transformation. Who are these that are to do this? What is the purpose? The purpose is to judge the mountain of Esau. Now, without going too deep into this this morning, the word judge is really important. Judgment, according to God's standards, is actually taking something that is out of order and putting it in order. So just like a judge in a courtroom has two sides to debate and bring it into truth and bring it into order. So the judge hears both sides and then renders a verdict. He renders his judgment. Can you say amen? This is what God does. In fact, God will often allow chaos, what appears to be chaos, to enter the world, what appears to be chaos to enter your life, to bring you to your knees before him and take your life that was out of order and put it back into order. So we welcome the New Testament judgment of God, which is actually just taking the chaos of society and bringing it into order according to heaven's standards. Oh, am I talking to somebody this morning? That is the judgment of God. That's why the Bible says that we are judges of the earth. This doesn't mean that we judge our neighbor and render condemnation, accusation. This means that we just take disorder, we take chaos, and put it into order. What does this look like? Every time, oh, every time you go and take food to somebody who, who is homeless, you are judging the spirit of poverty. You are taking something that is out of order and not heavenly and putting it in order by feeding the poor. Every time at work, you have people that are maybe stealing things or... or practicing dishonesty, and you are honest at your workplace, you are judging the spirit of dishonesty. You are dethroning the kingdom of darkness and enthroning Jesus. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Every time you choose to do right in wrong situations, you are rendering righteous judgment on the kingdom of darkness. That's why we all have a part to play. You don't have to have a massive evangelistic ministry to bring the kingdom of God. You just have to do right in a wrong situation. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Every time you lay hands on a sick person, you are judging the spirit of sickness and disease and rendering righteousness and the kingdom of God comes. Every time you choose to abstain from sin when others around you are sinning and you're the odd one out, you just became promoted as a judge and a carrier of a heavenly kingdom establishing righteousness in the earth to judge the mountain of Esau. And only when righteous judgment is rendered can the kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. 
This wasn't my message this morning. (laughs) When you begin to understand that you are the counterbalance, the opposing force in the weight of society going into deprivation, you realize I've got to get out of the church. I got to come back on Sunday. I got to come back to discipleship. I got to get trained and equipped. I've got to be held accountable. I've got to hear my senior pastor's message and corporate worship. I believe in all of that. I have a church. My father is my pastor. But when Sunday service is over, it's time to go out and bring righteous judgment everywhere you place your feet. This is the call of God for every single believer, irrespective of your past, irrespective of things you're struggling with. When the kingdom of God is in you, that makes you a kingdom carrier and a judge of demonic powers that want to hold Canton imprisoned. You are kings and judges. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a good judge. Only when you do that does the kingdom of God come. This is why there's a necessity for us to get out there and do something. Now, just to tell you a little bit about me, I was launched into ministry after Pastor Sunday Adelaide laid hands on me at a conference. It was a divine appointment of genuine impartation from a wild Nigerian man to a very passive Canadian boy, Caucasian. And, uh, and I received something and came home and was hired on staff at my father's church, the Embassy of the Kingdom of God, cool name. And uh, we immediately went into revival with our youth and young adult ministry. And uh, we grew from about six kids sitting around to 200 people in about six months. We had buses coming from other churches. We had healings. We had these glory services where we'd be all over the floor for hours. You know, just a downpour of things. And this lasted for about eight years. Now, for me, that was the be-all and end-all. What more do you want than that? You gather people in a building, have great services, and you can't wait to get back the next week and do that. However, God had a different plan for me. And he began to confound my way of thinking. Because for me, I thought that it was all about just gathering. And it got to the place where I was asking every Sunday or or every service, you know, how many people showed up and, and what was the tithe that came in and All of that is important, but that became the main thing for me, was if you could get there to hear me preach, your life would be changed, and we have an altar time, and you know what began to happen? God began to remove his glory from these meetings. And there is nothing sadder than watching a young preacher trying to recreate old glory. And I went into this funk of frustration trying to make something happen, trying to recreate what we had before because I didn't know what to do beyond have great services. And then one day the Lord gave me a prophetic dream where I saw, you know, people going beyond the four walls and he began to talk to me about the kingdom of God in society. And that led to a dramatic change and shift in my thinking as a pastor. And I began to see my church members as people that could go out and actually bring transformation to the society. I began to see them as anointed ministers that could go out and do something in society. But the challenge that I ran into was now I had to equip them and prepare them, but I couldn't seem to fit all that in on a Sunday morning. That became the challenge. So I tried preaching for two hours. 
I thought, I got to get all this in. I got to pump them full of stuff so that they go out there and they're effective. And I found our numbers began to dwindle because nobody wanted to sit for two hours on a Sunday. They had a roast in the oven or, you know, something like that. And uh, no one wanted to sit for that long. (laughs) The next challenge I faced was, you know, I, I thought my preaching was enough to mobilize people. And then the next challenge I faced was that people, I discovered when they came to church, there was this environment prepared for them that brought the best out of them on a Sunday. But the environment in church wasn't the environment that they were going home to during the week. Hello. So in in, in my church, you'd walk in the door. You could be fighting with your wife all the way to church and and screaming divorce at each other. And, you know, don't pretend you haven't fought with your spouse on the way to church. (laughs) Your pastor, oh, yeah. And you, you get to church and you walk in the door and there's the smell of bagels. We sell bagels in our atrium. Uh, at church, and there, there's coffee, and there's somebody who's, well, he's not paid, but he stands at the door to greet you and welcome you, and you suddenly feel pretty good. You're not thinking divorce anymore. You know, you're pretty happy to be there with you. You know, you're forgetting about your troubles, and then another person is, leads you down the aisle and seats you. You actually have a chauffeur that helps you to sit down. <laughs> it's pretty cool, and it's a padded bench, it's one of these chairs, you know, and you sit down and you're, you're with your spouse and your family and then a worship team comes out and you get a free concert. You get an incredible worship experience and God really shows up. I'm not undermining that, but God shows up and suddenly the person that you were fighting with all the way to church, hand in hand, you are worshiping together and your marriage has never been better and, and, and you're, you're praising God and the anointing is falling and then the, the pastor comes out and, and, and he's dressed like David, Pastor David, and, and he looks sharp and he's funny and, and cool and, and you just feel good to be in the house of the Lord. And he begins to preach, and it touches your heart, and you yell some amens and some hallelujahs. And and then you go out the door, and what I discovered was people were going back home to addiction, going back home to abuse, going back home to not really knowing how to have a devotional life. And all that was left was a desperate wait for Sunday to come again and get back in that environment. This was one of my shocks as a pastor. Is this okay this morning? I'm not negating the local church gathering at all. I'm saying we don't remove that. We add to it. We add something to it that prepares people to succeed with or without a Sunday morning experience, even though I, I believe in that. So that was my, my second shock. And then my, my third shock was that not everybody was practicing what we were preaching. I thought everybody was, you know, I was getting up at four in the morning and praying and I'm not boasting in myself. I'm saying this is what pastors go through is sometimes we think that everybody's just as hungry as as others because they look like it on Sunday. And I discovered, you know, I would spend some time with my leaders and the stuff I would find in their house and the movies they were watching. And, the, you know, I began to discover that there's a, I need to preach on some things, but here's the challenge for any pastor is you come on a Sunday morning and these people over here want to hear you preach on finances, but you've got some baby lambs over here that need to hear about alcohol and and abstaining from this and that, and you've got so much to fit into 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. What do you do to properly train and equip people to be active out there? Have I brought you a good problem this morning? 
try to just package that in as quick as possible. How do you prepare people to be deliverers? Because for some of us, we need to be delivered before we can go out and deliver anybody else. That's really the fundamental problem with the church is when, when we go out there, people don't run into Jesus in us. They run into just us. And, and Derek on his worst day or Derek even on his best day without the kingdom of God in me has little to no impact on anybody out there. And so I ran into this challenge as a pastor and the, the Lord was, was gracious to me because uh, I spent, I went and took three days homeless on the street, praying 10 hours a day. Just This is what my mentor taught me to do. And I was praying for the city. And I, I realized that, you know, I would go up to people on the street and I'd say, do you know Jesus? And I would try to evangelize them. And you know what most of them said? M- maybe it's not this way in Canton, but it is in Canada. Most of them said, oh, yeah, yeah, I accepted Jesus when I was young. I'm good. Now, do you have any marijuana? You know, this is what I was running into. Or would you like to receive Jesus? Uh, yes, I, I know Jesus. I have Jesus. And the person is homeless with a bottle of alcohol in their hand. And, and so I was going around saying, well, I'd like to introduce you to him. I can bring you to church. Uh, my church is on. And he'd say, well, I don't have a car. And I'd say, well, there are buses and taxis. Well, I don't have money. And I walked around those three days and thought, Dear Lord, no wonder we're not reaching people. How do we get them into the building? And that's when I discovered that you think it's about the emphasis of gathering. It's the emphasis is on sending. Then you will gather. When you send, you will gather. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In the kingdom of God, it is about sending and you will receive. So I began to change up how I did things. Is this okay this morning? You still love me? Corporate hug. Just love me. Corporate hug. All right. Now, I, I, I knew I was to raise up deliverers because I saw people in society that needed deliverance. Right now, there's people in hospitals that can't get to your church this morning. But if you went to them, you would see salvations today. That's a tough word. There are people addicted and really addicted in a way that like they want to get free, but they need somebody to deliver them. They need somebody to render righteous judgment so the kingdom of God can come. There is no place on earth, and let's say in Canton, where there is the absence of a kingdom. Did you know that? There's no place on earth where there's the absence of a kingdom. There's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And you know the effects of it by its fruit. And so we actually have to go out and do the work of dethroning the kingdom of darkness so that we can enthrone the kingdom of God, making the mountain belong to the Lord. Amen? So I began to change things up a bit. Can I tell you a little bit about what I did? Uh, Or by God's grace, what we did? Uh, You know, there was a young lady that came to my office. She was one of our all-star leaders, and she had a bunch of cell groups under her. And she said, Pastor, I'm feeling like I'm to uh, give my attention to Chapters Bookstore where I'm working. I just got hired there. And I want to give my cell groups over to the co-leaders that I've trained and raised up. And that's good, isn't it? She did a good job. She was faithful with it. But I did not want to let her go. It became a Pharaoh and Egypt thing. Let my people go. I did not want to let her go. I wanted her right in her position. And she said, Pastor, I'm telling you, God has given me a vision for Chapters Bookstore. So reluctantly, after a bunch of plagues hit my house, I let her go. No, I'm kidding. And uh, she ended up, you know, at her workplace. She was quickly promoted to manager. Why? Because Jesus is in her. 
She's well-trained, well-equipped. Why wouldn't she get promoted? If Jesus worked at Chapter's bookstore, he would get promoted or fired. But (laughs) she was promoted to manager, and uh, she quickly began to make some changes. Using her influence, she began to have uh, Christian instrumental music playing over the loudspeaker, creating this heavenly atmosphere. And then she created a no-swearing rule where if her co-workers swore, they had to put a dollar in a jar. She was quickly becoming a very rich woman. She was prospering in her place of influence. And uh, pretty soon, people began to come to her and ask questions. They began to just pour out their heart to her, and they said, I don't know why I'm telling you this. And, And sometimes they'd be weeping because literally the kingdom of God would go with her into Chapter's bookstore. Ah, This is what the scripture means when it says, everywhere you place your feet, what that actually means is everywhere you invest your time and resources. Everywhere you invest your time and resources, you have a right to reap a harvest from. I don't think you're hearing me this morning. Everywhere you invest yourself, you have a right to reap a harvest from. This is your inheritance to lead many sons to glory. That's why when Jesus gave up his life, the Father said, Ask of me and I will give you nations as your inheritance. Who is praying for Canton? Who will lay down their life for Pennsylvania? Who will make Pennsylvania the keystone state in the United States of America? Who will become a deliverer and ascend Mount Zion, judging the kingdoms of darkness and establishing the kingdom of God everywhere you place your feet? Am I preaching to somebody this morning? And she began to lead these people to the Lord in the back office. And you know what happened? One by one, they started to get saved. And she, she began to bring them back out to church. And they became ushers. They served on leadership team. They, they began to grow. And I thought, you know what? This is a great church growth strategy. I sowed one and I got eight back. I thought, I need to let my people go. And that's when, you know, I discovered that God doesn't just want New Life Church to worship Him this morning. God wants all of Canton to worship Him. You don't have enough room in this building if God's dream and desire was fulfilled. What can God do with a few deliverers? And I began to now grid my results by the Great Commission, not by church attendance. I began to read the Great Commission. I thought, Lord, I'm happy with great services. You know I am. I love it. But there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than wavering between, okay, we had 120 people come out. And you know what pastors say. Well, you ask them, how many people come to your church? And they always say, well, if everyone came on one Sunday, we would have 500 and... You know, even some of my friends have churches of 5,000, 10,000 people, and it means nothing if the society is not transformed. God is interested in more than church membership. He's interested in sons and daughters. He's interested in raising up deliverers that will go out from Zion into society, making the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our God. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. He is interested in his government being established in society. The problem is, you're his only way of doing it. You're the Knesset. You're the 120 seats in the Knesset. You're the 120 people in the upper room. You're the ones with the Holy Ghost. 
You're the ones who know Jesus. The problem will never be with God and waiting on revival. The problem is always with the laborers. I love revival, but I'm not waiting for it. I spearhead revival. We are catalysts of revival, not just in the church, but everywhere you place your feet. Whether you bake a pie and take it to somebody on your street who's depressed, you have just judged the spirit of depression. In that. <sighs> when you clothe the naked, when you visit the sick, when you love the unlovable, you are judging the spirit that has them bound. That's what you're doing with your work, Juanita and Johnny, on the streets there. When you go to people's homes, when you gather people, you're judging the spirit of darkness that's at work there. And you enthrone the kingdom of God, even if it's for a few moments in that person's life. We are kingdom carriers. We are deliverers from Zion. So it was at that time in our ministry the Lord graciously gave us a gift in the form of a radical, intensive, choreographed, supernatural, three-and-a-half-day training series modules. And we began to hold this training series in our church, and we just began to pump out laborers. We began to pump out deliverers who came, and we, we, addressed, we gave them the knowledge they needed to have because I wasn't restricted to 45 minutes on a Sunday. We, gave them the, we worked on their character. We worked on teaching them how to create heavenly environment wherever they would place their feet. And they would come out of these modules, and they would go knowing what their calling was and having the skill set to go and bring actual impact. The results we got were astonishing. As I said earlier, I, I saw more results in those two years of training and equipping than I did in 10 years of just preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's both and. It's not either or. There are times I will, I will go to church on a Sunday and I will drive away after, and it's been only two hours, and I will feel different. I'll feel refreshed. I'll feel inspired. I love Sunday morning. I, I don't know if you do, but I do. But I also love getting the information I need to build systems in society that uproot darkness and enthrone Jesus. I love being a deliverer to those who need deliverance. That is your calling and what we're called to do. And so we started this in the form of the history makers training and we began to raise up sons and daughters, not just church members, but sons and daughters who knew what they were called to do, who knew how to be effective where they, where they are, and we kind of turned our church into a factory of taking people from baby Christians all the way to mature enough believers into what we call systematic sending. We would actually organize righteousness in society. Now, there's a term. You know why darkness reigns in some societies? It's because it's organized. In fact, we call it organized crime. Hello, are you hearing this? That's why the, the mafia boss just can't seem to get caught. They're too organized. Why in Canada can there be sex trafficking the way there is when the law prohibits it, society doesn't respect it, yet it's happening. It's because it's organized crime. So we began to teach our people organized righteousness. Ugh. We would say, do good. This, I, I preached this at a, uh, they asked me to speak at a gala for uh, sex trade. They were building a house for s sex slave victims. 
And my thing was do good in an organized way. So now it became not just about making a meal for the homeless. It became about establishing homeless programs. Now it became about not just trying to rescue one woman and stop her from committing abortion. It was raising up actual movements and, and programs that, that, that uh, infuse an understanding of what actually happens when you have an abortion. We would actually be able to stop people en masse from having abortion. We would organize righteousness and have a presence in society. There are enough people in this church to turn Canton upside down. And, and what's amazing about this is your up, Canton's upside down is God's right side up. It'll get a little messy when God bellows you into society. I want you to quickly go to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 36 to 38, and then I'm going to bring this home. How am I doing for time? When do you usually... We're good? Okay. Matthew chapter number 13. We're going to begin at verse 36. It says, then he left the crowds. A little easier to find than Obadiah, isn't it? But now you can say when you meet Obadiah in heaven that I read your, your powerful scripture. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So who's the sower? Jesus. The field is the world. What's the field? Where are we getting the harvest from? The world. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. That is important. You know why this is important? The disciples took Jesus aside in the house because they were confused. They said, Jesus, we heard what you said out there, but give us a little better explanation. After all, we're, the, we're, the, we're your, your Navy SEAL team here. Tell us the real deal because we understood that the seed that's being sown is the word of God preached. Remember, some fell on rocky ground, some fell on this ground, and those who received it in their heart actually got saved. So Jesus throws this crazy curveball and says, actually, you are the good seed. What he was saying was, you are actually the word preached. It's actually your life that's meant to be sown into the world. Hello, You are actually to be the seed that encompasses all that is God. That's why when you got saved, what actually happened was you heard the word, which is sperma. I just want to give you your meat and potatoes today because, you know, I'm only here once. This is okay. Sperma, which is where, of course, we get the word sperm. When you heard the word, it was literally the DNA and nature of God the Father. And when that entered your heart, you mixed faith with it. And there was a supernatural impregnation of a new birth, a rebirth. And that's why you were called born again. Now you are children of God because your spiritual DNA is that of your daddy, daddy God. (laughs) You have a new father. You have a heavenly father. You have his DNA flowing through your veins of the God class. The God nature. A son and daughter of the Lord. You are not the son of God. But you can be sons, heirs. The sons of the kingdom. But the challenge that we face is even though we have access to all that is our father. If we don't develop ourselves. If we don't grow. We remain baby Christians. I'm just going to throw this out there. But one of the greatest reasons for the ineffectivity of the church 
is that we have, we've made our churches into nurseries where babies do not grow and can never go out and get the inheritance of their father. Baby Christians fighting over the carpet color. You need the pastor for everything. And if you don't like the pastor, you try to get the board. We have chaos in our ingrown communities because of a lack of sending those Alethas into Chapters Bookstore. Into When it becomes about the harvest, we can get past our navel-gazing and differences because there's a battle out there. There is a kingdom of darkness to dethrone. We must enthrone the kingdom of light. So we've got to develop ourselves. We've got to grow. Because only mature sons, and that includes daughters, are entrusted with inheritance. Would you give a child an inheritance of $2.1 million? I doubt you would. You know why? It'll destroy the child. This is why some of you are sitting in the seats today with prophecies of great things you will do, but God can't give it to you because you haven't matured enough. If he gave it to you while you're just a Sunday morning Christian, it would destroy you, and God loves you more than your ministry. I said a lot there. Are are we okay? Okay. Your seatbelt's a corporate hug. <laughs> so all God can do is keep pacifying you. Feeding you pablum. Stressing out the pastor. I'm going to finish this up in a moment. But church authorities... And prophets of God, and I I think you believe in prophets because I read in your washroom there, uh, I read your uh, information, the bulletin. Somebody was, you called a prophet, so I just feel free here this morning. But but, uh, they're saying that we are in, right now, one of the greatest church reformations since Martin Luther, maybe since the book of Acts. And we don't necessarily know it because we're in the eye of the storm. And people who make history aren't really remembered or known until they've become history. You're in it right now. You don't have time to waste. You were born in this generation for a reason. You weren't born in the 1800s. You were born in the 19-whatever. Maybe some of you were born in the 1800s. I don't know. (laughs) But you're alive today for a reason. Because you've got something to contribute. You've got something to do. You've got something to bring. You've got a kingdom to carry. And this is why God actually wants you trained and equipped. So here's what's happening. And then I'm going to bring this home. Because I see the worship team is here. Is the violin player here as well? Oh, thank God. (laughs) Let me just keep you for a few more moments, okay? Here is why. What is taking place today. I'm going to tell you a big secret. God is not neglecting local church gathering. He is not against it. It is not the kingdom age and the end of the church age. No way. I've seen people do some squirrely things when they quit going to church. Hello. It is actually the age where training and equipping is being added to the local church concept. Am I right, Pastor? Training and equipping, but it's got to be the right kind. Intensive, carefully choreographed, proper training and equipping to prepare sons to be sown as seeds. Let me tell you something. Would you go to a heart surgeon? You know, God is raising up experts in this church. That's what I'm sensing. Would you go to a heart surgeon to have heart surgery and his only credentials were he went to class once a week on a Sunday morning and sometimes read the surgery manual? 
you want an expert working on your heart, God is raising up experts. Let me tell you quickly what happened, how we began to reach those numbers of upwards of 300,000 people. Let me tell you about Aisha Francis, sat in church all of her life had a prophecy that she would do something, but wasn't effective, was sitting, waiting for God to do it. She took the history maker's training, and she ended up uh, starting a charity that rehabilitates families where one of the spouses has been incarcerated. When the spouse comes out, her ministry helps reintegrate and bring the family back together. She doesn't mention the name Jesus. She just uses kingdom principles. And she dethrones the kingdom of darkness that breaks up family and enthrones the kingdom of light that brings families back together. Are you hearing me? That's Aisha Francis. She was able to quit her job. The university sends her interns. She has influence. Let me tell you about Donna Loback. Donna Loback sat in church for, man, since I was born. She sat on the front bench there and she would just shake through the service and she said all I'm called to is intercession she took the history makers training she launched a program called city revitalization she now leads meetings that she chairs that the mayor attends city councilors attend and they help to pass laws that make the city a better place like reestablishing the nativity scene like like beautifying the city with plants and and trees and all of that one seed that came through a training is now impacting society on that level. Let me tell you about Patrick Flontek quickly. Patrick is a very old man. He struggles with a sleep disorder, some sickness. He came through the training. Afterwards, he started a program called Budding with Seniors where he mobilizes young people to meet with senior citizens and lead them to Jesus. He took the scripture of honor thy father and thy mother and he said, what if a city had a program that honored their seniors? Would a commanded blessing visit that, visit that city? He now oversees three seniors' churches and three senior centers. I've never seen a single one of them in church. They've got their church out there that he oversees. He said, Pastor, I never led a single person to Jesus in 25 years of my Christianity. Now I'm leading them to Christ almost weekly, many of them before they die. Hello. Can we celebrate that? Let me tell you quickly about, because we have ministry in Bulgaria, we've now been able to stand before the judges and lawyers convocation. I was asked to speak on the role of truth and values that transform a society. We have people in the medical field there, graduates starting businesses. We are the first ministry, I believe, so careful with this quote, we're the first ministry that has actually established a gypsy rehabilitation program that doesn't just preach and hold services for gypsies, but takes them from homelessness all the way through hygiene to reintegration into society with a job and a home. There was one woman that came through the training and she said, I don't have a big ministry. I don't, I don't have a social justice issue. I don't know what to do, but she, she knew she had to do something. So she wrote out on a pamphlet of the story of the kingdom of God, how, how Adam and Eve fell and how Jesus came to give life and redeem us. She handed out a hundred of those and some people got saved. She was so proud. Now she formed a team. And if, if my statistics are correct, in the last year and a half, they've handed out over 150,000 of them. Scores of people coming to Christ. There's just a grace on it, and she has plans now to blanket the country of Bulgaria with the message of the kingdom of God. Let me tell you quickly about Margaret, uh, Margaret McLeod Fleming. Let's get my tea going here. Marguerite 
sat in church, she said, all her life. And she said, I was waiting for my release. That's prison talk. Like a parole hearing to see if you're good enough to go out and be effective out there. And she said, I took the History Makers training and I, I just decided to start something. And she had children in the school system and they've begun to teach such a perverse curriculum of sex education. If I told you about it, we might be here all day weeping. You, you wouldn't believe, maybe you would, but you wouldn't believe what's being taught in the school system in Canada. Maybe it's the same here. But you can choose which gender you want. Uh, they're, they're teaching them with toy. You know what, I won't even get into it this morning. It's so perverse. And God spoke to her during this training and equipping experience that she wasn't to go against the education system, but she was actually to educate the parents. So she created a curriculum that parents use to educate their children so when the children go into the school system, they can stand up in class and say, actually, that's not true. The truth is. I thought you'd get a little more excited about that. And let me tell you something, whether the child gets kicked out or not, no matter what persecution comes their way, when you go into a school system with truth where there is lies, you are judging the spirit, the lying spirit of the age. And you are dethroning the kingdom of darkness in that moment and enthroning Jesus Christ and his principles. You are going out from Zion. You are going out from Zion as a deliverer of truth. She created this curriculum, and this is a real statistic. This is no preacher exaggeration. In six months, it's now in over 32 countries. Maybe 36, last I heard. She's just a normal woman with two kids, busy life. But God never meant for you to live mundane. He never meant for, he didn't die so that you could just come and sit died so that you could go out from Zion a deliverer loosing the bonds of the oppressed I feel the anointing here I want to tell you something <clears throat> can I tell you one more thing and then I, I'm going to see what, what happens here Oh, can you play that beautiful violin just something the anointing is all over you <clears throat> she's playing there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain I asked her to play because I went into a vision where I was seeing the faces of these Bulgarians that were being fed that were being treated everywhere you place your feet you know there's something happening right now quickly stand to your feet lift your hands and begin to receive whatever God is doing right now go ahead with that violin go ahead instruments musicians Oh, Holy Ghost, break every chain. 
worship team, go for it. Let's sing that song. There is power in the name of Jesus. Just a little faster, a little faster. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain. of anointing, if you want to be a chain breaker, we can't do a training, we can't do a history makers training for you this morning, but I can call you to this altar where we can pray for you, lay hands on you, ask God to make you a chain breaker in your generation, get out of your seat and come as we sing this, 
I, I wonder if you can sing that song that you were singing at the beginning, Holy Spirit, and more and more of you or something like that. It was so anointed. Can we prepare that song? Because I, I, when we pray for you, I want the anointing to fall all over you. Just, just as you come, take some steps forward so there's lots of room for everybody to come. I want you just to open up your hands, just symbolic of opening up your heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the things that hold you back from moving through me. I want a clean slate this morning. Come on, church, just declare that. I want a clean slate this morning because I want you to use me to reach my generation. In Jesus' name, lift your hands and all over this place begin to pray in the Spirit as we sing this song. We have had enough of getting everything we want. Come on, open and your mouth. we are weary of Make a connection with heaven this morning. this life just for us. Yes, Lord. Oh, forgive us seeking your hand and not your Uh, what I'd like to do 
is have just two lines that are here at the front and the rest of you can form a line going back down the aisle maybe facing this direction because we'll come around and pray for you that way uh, as we organize this Holy Spirit won't leave so don't worry about that let's just organize this in a certain way if I can have maybe the, the pastoral team help let's have just two lines here that are at the front so one right across here and then one more line and then we need some maybe either going down this aisle or that aisle going to be able to pray for you and we'll continue with that song as the anointing is falling here. As they're doing that, let's continue to worship. Go ahead, worship team. Let's do it. Holy Spirit, fill us with your fire. Give us your desire. Hold us close to you. Worship and make this connection with heaven. Just turn your eyes to Jesus. Just worship with all your heart. Allow Him to touch you today. Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. Give us revelation. Healing visitation. Revelation, healing visitation, 
Your 